Today we're going to be going to the Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 12 through 19. We're going to read a story here in the Bible. One you've probably heard before. But Jesus makes a statement in this verse that I want us to kind of focus on. But really, a lot of times when we look at this statement that Jesus made, if we're careful, I think we can kind of take it the wrong way and almost have the wrong attitude that I don't believe Jesus was having here. When you look at this, it almost looks like Jesus is focusing on a negative here. And of course, Jesus is not going to do anything that is wrong in any way, shape, or form. And I think as we study this and as we look at some other passages in the Bible, we see here that Jesus is not focusing on a negative here that really what He's doing is He is focusing very much on a positive. And it says in Luke chapter 17, we'll read it in verse 12, it says, And as He entered into a certain village, there met Him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. A leper, that's someone with a disease of leprosy. If you had leprosy and you were in that if you were a Jew and then Israel during that time, you had to leave your community. You could not live around those who were clean. They might get your disease. And that disease, it was fatal. There was no cure for it. And they obviously had heard about Jesus and had thought that maybe Jesus Christ could heal them of their leprosy. But it says that they stood afar off. They didn't go running up to Him. They wouldn't have been able to do that. They knew to stay far away from people. When you read the laws in the Old Testament for lepers, it was really a very sad, horrible thing. If they were ever out and about somewhere and somebody was to be traveling through and to come along and see them, they would they would have a cloth that they would cover their mouth with and they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. That way people would know, don't go near that person. Don't touch anything that they've touched. They're a leper. And it was a horrible disease, one that people feared, and it was, uh, it was, it was a slow, long death sentence for people that had this. So they're standing afar off, and they're crying and asking for Jesus to have mercy. And in verse 14, and when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. He told them, Go show yourself. To the priests. Also, if you look in the Old Testament, Jesus never went against any Old Testament law. He fulfilled the law, but he uh, he told them to go show themselves to the priests because any time they even thought they had leprosy, or if they maybe had a little bit of it, but it hadn't gotten too bad, sometimes they could be cleansed and it would be okay. But they would have to go and be checked by the priests, and the priests would look to make sure that they were clean. It was and. It was just part of uh, their customs and their laws that they had. And Jesus, in a word, cleansed them. He didn't even have to touch them. He just said, go, present yourselves to the priest. And as soon as they obeyed His voice, and as soon as they went to go and uh, go see the priest, they were cleansed. I mean, what an amazing thing that just happened. Ten men have just been cleansed, not even with a touch, but just with a word, from Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 15, "...and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, "...were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? 
They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to just ask you now that you will just fill me with your power, Lord. I just pray that I will get this message across, Lord, in the way that you would have me to. Lord, I pray that uh, through your word today, Lord, that everyone here will just see, see Lord, and just get a glimpse of the value of just one soul that gives their heart to You. And they'll realize just how important and how valuable it is to You. And I pray that it will motivate us to just keep on spreading the Gospel, Lord, so we can reach that one for You. And in Your name we pray. Amen. Jesus here on the surface, and it looks like it's kind of a failure here because notice how Jesus heals ten people, but only one comes back to give thanks. Only one turn to give glory to God. And Jesus makes a statement in there. He said, where are the nine that were cleansed? The only one that gave glory and that gave thanks was this one Samaritan, the stranger. He calls them the Samaritans. They were a group of people. They were the outsiders. They were half Jew, half Gentile. And the Jews, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews did not like them at all. I mean, you talk about uh, racism. There was a lot of it back in those days. And they didn't like the Samaritans one bit. And here this Samaritan is the only one that gives glory to God. He's the only one that gives thanks to God. And Jesus makes a statement, where are the nine? And you know, it does kind of sound like a negative. And really a lot of times, one of the things that happens as a church and as Christians, when we try to witness to people, you know, the truth is most people reject the Gospel when you give it to them. And even out of the people that do accept the Gospel, maybe even make a profession and get saved, most of them do not stay and join a church and end up serving Christ. Many of them go their separate ways and do their own things. And our theme that we've had of Lord send the labors, we've been talking about you know, just spreading the Gospel and just trying to be a part of that harvest of souls that we want to see. But the truth is, I'd be lying if I said to you that it's easy to get people saved these days. That it's easy to get people in the church. I'd be lying if saying that this labor that we're talking about is an easy thing. It can be very difficult. And the truth is, we're talking about people. That's who we're wanting to make a difference with. We're wanting to, we serve God by serving people. And there's many, many of the ministries that we do in this church. It's for others. Uh, we, the, I mean, the tithes and offerings that you give, much of that it goes, you know, we, uh, some of it goes to help missions that is really all about people and seeing people get saved. And you know, I'm just going to give a truth to you here that's kind of ugly, but on the surface and, in general, and even mathematically, people, they seem to be a very poor investment. I mean, now, if you find out, and I know that sounds terrible, but think about it. Financially speaking, if you were to invest in something that you were always going to be losing money on, would you consider that a good investment? No, if you put $100 in something and you're getting $10 back, well, obviously that's not a very good investment, is it? You're supposed to be gaining. But the truth is, when it comes to people, a lot of times we use the term investing in people's lives. But if we, uh, we gotta be careful with that because people mathematically are a poor investment. I can go out today and I could go knock on ten doors and try to give ten people the gospel and I might get ten rejections. 
I guarantee I'm not going to get more people to accept than reject. If we get 10 visitors here in church, there's a good chance 9 of those 10 aren't going to come back. 9 of the 10 might not even like it. I mean, you you all could probably tell stories about people that you've done good things for and it seems like absolutely nothing was accomplished. Maybe they just took advantage of you. And the truth is, many people have just given up when it comes to helping other people because people sometimes are a poor investment. People sometimes let you down and disappoint you. And I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. In fact, I can tell you, you can usually count on people to let you down. Brother Tom, you're really having a bad attitude today. No, I think you'll see I'm not having a bad attitude. And I'm not trying to say that about any of you here today. But I'm just saying that's. I think we would all agree that that's just the truth. That's just it is just the way it is. We probably all have more horror stories about people than good ones, and uh, people sometimes can seem to be a waste of time. But as Bible believers, we choose to believe the Bible. In fact, we choose to believe the Bible over common sense. We choose to believe the Bible over what history says. In fact, we even believe the Bible over what math says. My kids sometimes, they'll be struggling with math. And I remember when I would teach in school and kids would take a math test and they would be, they, you know, they'd turn that test in and, well, I don't know if I pass this test. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I was like, why not? Why don't you know if you did good in this test? I said, math isn't a guessing game. I said, math is all absolutes. There's all, there's only one answer, that right answer for all these questions. And I would say all that to them, basically trying to show them that you obviously don't know this very well. <laughs> because you know you don't have to wonder if you're right when it comes to math if you know how everything works. And uh, that, that is kind of difficult sometimes. I make it sound easy, but that's the job of a teacher. Make it sound easy and <laughs> confuse the kids. No, that, but that's how I did it, I guess. But when it comes to people, though, math is not on our side. But we do see in the Scripture, and I hope you'll see by the end of this message, that... It, we don't look at any of those things because one soul makes everything worth it. And I think you'll see too that Jesus, when He said, where are the nine? He's not focusing on the nine that didn't return. I think that was His way of focusing on the fact that, hey, look, we've got... Look at this one. When the other ten went away, look at this one that stayed to give glory to God. And you'll realize the value of that one soul. But first thing I want us to see in this story here in Luke chapter 17... In verse 12 and 13, it says, And as they entered into a certain village, there met him ten men, which were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know what they, these guys did when they came to Jesus? They didn't come to Him to hear His words and to hear His teachings and to find out how they could be better people. That's not why they were there. They didn't come to see if, hey, Jesus, can we be one of Your disciples? and go around and help other people. Do you know why they came to Jesus that day? They came to see if they could get something from Him. They wanted healing. They wanted cleansing from their leprosy. They came to see if Jesus had anything to offer them. And most people, when they come to church, they come to see what the church has to offer them instead of trying to figure out what they have to offer. And I know we all know y'all are seasoned Christians here, and we know that that's not the attitude you're supposed to have. But most people in the world, when we tell them about our church, when they see our ad in the phone book, if they see one of our flyers or one of our ads that we've done, if they're looking at our website, many times the attitude is, and I'm not picking on anybody for this, 
Okay, we all do this. This isn't even necessarily a bad thing, but we're looking. Hey, I wonder what this has to offer me. I wonder what I can get from this church. Most people, when they're looking for friends, they're looking for a friend that has something to offer them. Hey, you know, they've got you know cool toys I can play with. You know, they've got. Uh, I, I need. I'm always joking. I need to make some friends that has. Uh, you know. All the, you know, a boat that I can borrow, so I don't have to buy one. I can just go, you know, use theirs whenever I want, or you know, I need, uh, so I need to make a friend that's got a bunch of land, so I can go hunt there whenever I want, or I, you know, can do all those things without me have to actually pay for everything. You know, I'm always joking. Hey, we need to go out, and we got to invite those millionaires into church so we can get their tithe checks. You know, just, you know, we 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 joke about those things, but many people, that's their attitude they have. Hey, I wonder what people have to offer me. I wonder what that church has to offer me. And let me tell you, a good church is going to have something to offer you. And um, maybe not necessarily financial. Um, boy, I don't know what's going on, but I got hammered with calls this week from people needing help financially. And uh, I mean, just uh, a lot of needs out there. People that have never darkened the doors of this church. People that never would come. But hey, I wonder if they've got something for me over there. And unfortunately, we're not just uh, you know overflowing with money <laughs> over here. I'm not overflowing with money. I wish I wish I could help everybody, but can't. But these guys came to Jesus to see if he had anything to offer them. And notice, once he offered them something, they took it and they ran. They took it and they ran with it. And they, hey, I got what I wanted, and uh, let's go. And that's exactly what they did. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on these people. I mean, maybe these guys were excited. I mean, they they thought, hey, look, I'm cleansed. i got to go tell my family. I can go back and I can live with my family. I can go back to my old job. I can go back to my old way of life. After they were healed, they were just thinking about themselves. They got their lives back. You know, when people get saved, I mean, their eternal soul is secure. They're saved. They don't have to worry about going and spending eternity in hell anymore. They have that. And sometimes people, they get excited and they have the attitude, man, I want to go and I want to tell other people, the Lord saved me from an eternity in hell. I want to serve Him. I want to tell other people. But some people, they just take what they can get and run. And nine out of these ten did that very thing. They thought, hey, I can go back to my, my old job. I can go back and see my old friends. Boy, I wonder what they're going to think when they see me. And they, they're, I mean, they were probably running, they probably ran to that priest as fast as they could and got that done and ran back home so they could go tell everybody, I've been cleansed. I'm healed. They were thinking about themselves. And the truth is, that's just human nature, isn't it? We all think about ourselves. Unfortunately, it takes practice. You have to. Uh, I'm not saying that's all you do, but though, if you do think of others first, it didn't come naturally to you. You had it's something you had to work on. It's something that you have to you have to try hard to do. And it's it's not necessarily a natural thing. I've got five kids, and you know they're usually focused on themselves, and it, sometimes it creates conflict. And you have to teach them, hey. We need to think about others first. You know, the older ones. You need to think about the younger ones first. You need to think about the weaker first. You know, Allie, she's not going to be able to do the same chores that the boys do because she's younger, she's smaller, uh, and you've got to teach people those things. It's not, it's not necessarily a natural thing, but they were. They're thinking about themselves. And then notice though, the one that returned was the one that had nowhere to go. 
The Bible says that he was a Samaritan. So when Jesus said, go to the priest, the Samaritan really couldn't do that. Because the Samaritan, they couldn't go present themselves to the priest. As soon as he would have found out who he was and seen that this man was a Samaritan, hey, this isn't for you, bud. Boy, can you, don't you thank God it's not like that now in the church? That the salvation is for everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, that there is no difference. I thank God for that. But this man, he had nowhere to go. But notice at the same time, he did obey the commandment of Jesus Christ because in a sense, he did go to the high priest. He went to the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And he went to him and he bowed before him and he thanked God. He had nowhere to go. And many times those with nothing to give are the ones who accomplish the most. You know, when it comes to, you know, uh, reaching people with the gospel, when it comes to witnessing, there are people that are out there that have all, so much. They're not thinking about God. Why would they need a church? Why would they need religion? They've got all the money they need. They got a nice house. They got cars. They've got all the entertainment and stuff that they could want. Why are they thinking about their souls? We see in the Bible that it's more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's very clear in the scriptures. And it is hard because they're so focused on those earthly things. And many times we think, boy, those people could be such a blessing if we could get them. But many times, those with nothing to give are the ones who accomplish the most. That's why as Christians, we have to be completely impartial when it comes to giving out the Gospel and being a witness to people. I'm telling you right now, if you're, if you're a soul winner and you're just targeting a certain group because maybe you think they have something to offer, you're not going to be a good soul winner. We need to look at each person as a soul. As one soul, that the value that it cannot be comprehended. We're going to look at a scripture about that in a little while, but we need we need to be completely impartial. All those people have nothing they can offer, but you don't know that. You have we have no idea. And the reason I believe many times those with nothing to give accomplish the most is because they give everything that they do have to God. And we see throughout the Bible that when you give a little bit to God. If it's, if it's everything, God can do great things with it. For example, the little lad who gave his five loaves and two fish to Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus did with that. He multiplied it and fed a multitude. You know why? Because that little child gave everything he had to the Lord. Now, if he'd have had a whole truckload of food, I wonder if he would have given it all. He might have been just like, oh, I'll just give him half. That's more than anybody else is going to give. But no, he gave it all to the Lord and Jesus took it and did great things with it. Remember Jesus, he didn't usually get too excited about things people did, but he got real excited about the woman who gave the two mites. It was just a little bit, but it was all she had. And Jesus Christ, was he was thrilled with that. He was excited. We don't know what happened, but I guarantee you, the Lord took care of her. I guarantee you, her needs were met. I mean, after we see the reaction Jesus had, I guarantee you her needs were met. Those two mites could not have met her needs. But when she gave it to the Lord, I believe it did meet her needs. We see the story in the Old Testament where Elijah, the man of God, came to the woman, the widow woman with a son who had just a little bit of food left to make one more meal for her and her son. And Elijah was hungry and he said, give it to me. And she gave 
She gave it all to him. And God ended up multiplying that meal. And throughout the entire famine, she never ran out of food. You know why? Because she gave all to God. And we have no idea what one soul can do that gives all to God. And that's why we need to be impartial. And those who seem to have a lot probably are going to be the ones to give the least. And those who give, who have the least are going to be the ones that give the most because they give all. And God's able to do great things. Many people have the attitude that when they serve God, they're doing God a great favor. You know, a lot of times these people are the ones that just cause trouble in the church. There's some people they think because they, you know, they show up at church or they maybe they give their tithes and offerings, they think, well, I'm really doing the Lord a big favor. It's like, no, we're privileged to serve the Lord. If you're one of His laborers, that is a privilege that God has given us. And many times people, they've got this attitude that they are this superior, that they're some elite, and they're, I mean, Lord, the Lord must sure be impressed with them. And they, all they do is cause trouble because they have that arrogant, they have that cocky attitude. And that's not the attitude we're supposed to have. We ought to have the attitude that we are not worthy to serve God. We ought to have the attitude of the prodigal son that he just said, I'm going to go home to my father and see if I can be one of his servants. And he asked his father, I just want to be a servant. But his father restored him to his position that he had just as if he had never left. But that, And God will do that to you if we have that attitude of Lord, just make me one of your servants. He'll make us one of his children. So, uh, in Christ's statement though, where are the nine? I don't believe that this was Jesus focusing on the negative. Because if we're not careful, we can get focused on that. We can go and talk about all the doors that we knock that people slam the door in our face. We can talk about all those that we've given the Gospel to that have rejected and said, no, I'm not interested, or maybe even laughed at us. There's going to be a lot more of them than those who accept. There's been a lot more people that have not come to this church than that have come to this church. There's been many more. I've given the gospel, or a bigger. I don't. I don't know what the numbers are, but a greater percentage of people that I've given the gospel to has rejected than accepted. And if if we're not careful, we're going to get this attitude of, where are those? Where are those nine? We had ten visitors a day. Only one got saved. What about those other nine? I don't believe that's what Jesus was doing in this passage. I think this is His way of pointing out how special this was. In Luke chapter 15, verse 4, Luke 15, verse 4, it says, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Listen, if this was us, we're thinking, hey, we lost the sheep, but hey, we still got ninety and nine. We still got ninety nine. That's focusing on the positive, isn't it? No. Jesus is focusing on that one. That one sheep, he said, that one sheep is important enough to go after it, to leave the other 99 so we can go find that one sheep. He's trying to show here the value of one, the importance of one. When Jesus said, 
where are the nine? He's not doing that saying, where are the nine? He's doing that basically showing that, look, out of all those one stick that look at this one that's here. Look at this is great. We've got one here that returned to give thanks. This one was worth all of it. Jesus didn't get followers out of those other nine, but he did have one here, somebody who wanted to follow him. Well, somebody that wanted to serve him. And out of all the people that we see Jesus healing, and we see him heal many in the Bible, there was very few that did what this man did. There was people like the maniac of Gadara that he wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. There was a few others that they got excited and they wanted to follow Jesus, but most took what they got from Jesus and they ran with it. But Jesus just kept going because those one, that one was worth it. That one person that gets saved, it's worth everything. We can talk all we want about all those who don't listen to us, but that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us talking about the ones that get saved. Before we started the church, I believe before our grand opening, there was about 12,000 flyers that we passed out. But we didn't have 12,000 people here that one day. But there was there was 101 people here that day. Now that's still a pretty small percentage, isn't it? I can't think fast enough on my feet to do the math on that. But that's not a very good percentage. But you know what? We were thrilled to death at how many turned out. And man... I, I mean, and there, I was thinking about the other day, out of all those people that were there, I, I, I could think of five that had gotten saved shortly after, that had gotten saved after that. Three of them sitting in here today. I'm thrilled to death about that. And you know what? That is all worth it. That is all 100% worth it. And what we need to learn from this passage is that our focus should be on the one soul that accepts the gift of salvation and not the ten, the hundred, or even a thousand that reject it. It is worth it. There's a lot of people here in town. There's 9,600, I guess, in Rock Falls. 15,500, according to the signs, over in Sterling. And we don't have 25,000 people in our church. And out of all the churches that there are in this area, there's not even 25,000 people that are going to church. But we're not focused on the 25,000. We're focused on those ones here and there that are getting saved because they're worth everything. They're worth it. And that's what Jesus Christ did in this passage. We've got one here. One out of those ten. Hey, we've got, we've got more than one of the 25,000 here in this area that are here in church today. And I thank God for that. And it's something that we ought to rejoice over. And the Bible says, likewise, there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. We see there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner. I would think that in heaven that has streets of gold, I mean, that has that crystal clear river, that has the throne of God with all kinds of different jewels and a rainbow around about the throne, I mean, that's got the cherubims and the seraphims up there singing holy, 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 and all that stuff going on up there in heaven. I mean, you would think it would take a lot down here to get them excited up there. But the Bible says that what gets them excited up there is one sinner repenting. We make waves in heaven when one person gets saved here on earth. We do. 
It, they noticed it in heaven. When you got saved, you made news in heaven when you got saved. People knew about it. People were rejoicing. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. It doesn't say that the angels are rejoicing. I wouldn't be surprised if they get in on it too themselves. But at the same time, I believe that that rejoicing in the presence of angels may be your lost or your loved one, not lost loved ones, but your loved ones who have gone on before. Maybe um, maybe a mother or a father or a grandparent, a brother, sister, maybe even a child. Who knows? They are in heaven and when you receive Christ, I believe they know about it. And they are rejoicing about it. The Bible says in Hebrews, uh, or Romans, it says, Know ye not that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And we are, we're, we're surrounded. There's people that see what's going on. They're paying attention. They're in heaven, I believe somehow, I don't know exactly how it all works, but I believe that there are people in heaven today, people that are probably connected to you and I, family members, people that are connected to this church through all of us in here. They're watching what's going on. And there may be even one here that's lost. And I can just see it. Boy, it's like in a basketball game. Have you ever been in a basketball game before? And there's this one kid in there, maybe he's having a really good game. And you know where his parents are, and you see him do something great in the game, and everybody kind of looks at that parent. Just they want to see their face. You just see that look of pride. You see the buttons pop, popping off their shirt. And I, I believe with all my heart in heaven, that same kind of thing goes on. There's people, they're all connected with us. They're up in heaven right now. They're watching what's going on, and they're thinking, man, I want, boy, I sure hope my family members are listening. I hope they're paying attention to that. Boy, I hope they get saved today. This could be the week they get saved. They're all up there watching. And I can just see it too because maybe the family knows that they've been praying for that one and they're, they're, they're watching them. They see their face. And that person gets up and walks down the altar and they call on the name of the Lord and it's announced in heaven. His name's getting written in the book of life. And they just start rejoicing. I can see maybe all looking at your parents or maybe your grandparents. And they're the most excited one there because another soul has just gotten saved. And that's what heaven is all about. It's all about souls. Out of, and out of the ten that get saved, we need to focus on that one that sticks around to serve God. We're going to see many people that get saved. We're going to see many people that are going to get baptized. Some are going to stay around and they're going to serve God. Some are going to leave and maybe get out of church. There's going to some that are going to fall away, not lose their salvation, but they, they'll be prodigals. They'll waste their lives and they won't give anything to the Lord. And it can get discouraging when we see that we'll have people join the church and leave the church and uh, are back and forth. That kind of thing is going to happen. But we're not going to focus on how many leave. We're going to focus on the one that stays and that one that serves God. All those ten men were cleansed of their leprosy. When they went, Jesus didn't say, "You know what? Those other nine didn't thank me. I'm going to take. I'm going to give their leprosy back to them." He didn't do that. Hey, there was there was ten cleansed, but you know what? We got one here that stuck around. We've got one that returned to give glory to God. And you know what? I don't I don't know how many people exactly have been saved since we started this church, but I know that not all of them have stuck around to serve God. But we're not. That's not what we're worried about. That's not what our focus is. Our focus is on the one, maybe out of the ten, that sticks around to serve God. Out of all the unfaithful servants that we hear about, out of all the scandals that you know, you'll hear about the preachers that uh, do something evil. You'll hear about the scandals in church, but we're not going to focus on the unfaithful servants. We're going to focus on the ones who stay faithful through their entire life. 
You know, the truth is, I've been to funerals of many pastors and evangelists and church members that stayed faithful to God their whole life. That served the Lord in the church their whole life. And you know what? It's not on the news when those people die. You know, breaking news. Pastor, so, you know, Pastor Tommy Birch from Liberty Baptist Church pastored 50 years, served the Lord faithful. They won't talk about that. Pastor Tommy Merch from Liberty Baptist Church, pastor there for two years, killed somebody. National news, big news. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's that, and that, that's what everybody focuses on. And people think, boy, all church is bad. All preachers are all phony. They're all, they're all just hypocrites. No, there are some out there. They're there, but there's more. There's, and there might even be more of them. But we're not focused on that. We're focused on the ones who stay faithful because they are worth it. We focus on the one because that one is worth everything. All our labors, our money, possessions, and our own life itself cannot be compared to the value of one. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whenever Jesus asks a question and He doesn't give an answer, it's because the answer is real obvious. There is no answer. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, there is nothing. I mean, the whole world? So, I mean, if you could become the owner of everything in the world, but you lose your soul, you got a bad deal. Well, that tells me that when one soul gets saved, that the we just accomplished something greater than inheriting the entire earth according to the Bible. Because you know, this world, it's going to burn eventually. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My words shall not pass away. This earth someday is going to be gone. Someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything on this planet is going to be gone, but the souls of man are eternal. They last forever. And that's why we make such a big deal about one soul. That's why we focus on the one soul. That's why whenever you know you, we witness to somebody and they maybe get angry and they reject and maybe they even curse and swear at you and make you feel really bad, we just keep on going and go to the next one because you know what? The next one might accept. The next one might get saved. That next person I invite, they might come to church. They might actually read that Gospel tract. They might actually show up for church. We don't know. And so we focus on that. D.L. Moody, a very well-known preacher from many years ago, he was a shoe salesman in a store. Not somebody you would think, you know, a shoe salesman. You know, not not a big deal. But there was an individual that honestly I don't even know what his name is. He was a Sunday school teacher in a church, and he led D.L. Moody to the Lord. He witnessed D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody got saved and went on to do great things for Christ. Many, I mean just countless numbers of people got saved under the ministry of D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody, he had a statement that he used to say all the time, and that is, the world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. I will try by my utmost to be that man. That was his attitude. And you know what? The truth is, I think the world is still yet to see that. What if you were the one 
I've heard so many stories of people. There's preachers that somebody all they did was gave them a gospel track, and they read it, and that message spoke to them, and they got saved and went on to do great things. God, what if you were the one that gave them that gospel track? Why do we pass out those tracks? Most people are probably just going to throw them away. We do it because there might be that one that reads it and gives their heart to Christ. Why do we pass out all those flyers just in case? One comes. Why do we do these things where we invite people to church? You know, we they they come, they go. Because what if one? What if one stays? You know, these. Why do we do these programs for these kids? You know, they're all they do is mess the church up and cost money and make a lot of noise. Because what if one of them becomes a missionary to a foreign country and wins? That starts churches in areas that never even heard about Jesus Christ. One of those kids. What if one of them are the next pastor of this church? What if one of them become a great evangelist? We have no idea, so we just keep on doing these things that God commands us. We keep on laboring. We keep on fulfilling that great commission. We keep on witnessing because we don't know who they are. It's probably going to be the last person that we expect. And I'm telling you, if you knew me when I was a kid, I was a brat. When I got a little older, I was a nerd. You know, and now I, I've been accused of it a few times. But I, mean, I was shocked when the Lord called me to be a preacher. And I think plenty of the people in my church that knew me when I was younger, I still see the looks on some of their faces. It's like when they see me when they see me preaching. It's like I still can't believe he's doing this because they knew me when I was a kid. You have you have no idea. I heard a preacher one time. He he was talking about the bus ministry. And he was saying, I'm telling you, the ones that you have to watch are those kids that cause the most trouble. That kid that you see swinging from the chandeliers and climbing on the ceiling and stuff, that's the one that's probably going to be the next preacher. That's probably going to be the one that becomes a next missionary evangelist and does something great for God. And I'm telling you that this that the ministry that service to God, no matter how small the area, it is all worth it because of those ones. And that's what we've got to be thinking about. That, that's the attitude we've got to have. We do what we can to cast a big net to try to bring in the multitudes. But the truth is, most of the fish that you're going to catch is just kind of those one at a time at random times. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know where it's going to be. We might have long periods of time where just nothing seems to happen. But we keep on going because it's all worth it when the one gets saved. I believe everything that we ever do here in Liberty Baptist Church, if we're here till the Lord returns and it's 50 years from now, we only get one more person, it was worth it. I hope we get a lot more than that. But I don't believe we would have wasted anything if one more person were to get saved. Because think about it, what if that one more person was your son or your daughter or your grandchild or you? If the whole, if your soul is worth more than the whole world, I think we can safe to say that your soul or another person's soul is worth more money than we'll ever put in these offering plates. It's worth more than any work that we'll ever do as a church. And we see in this passage, I believe, a glimpse of this: the value of one. And that's what I want us to focus on today. And every time we see that person get saved, boy, rejoice in it on a, a great thing. Has happened. A soul has been saved. I mean, attention. It's, we've gotten heaven's attention. And that's what it's all about. So let's all stand together, their heads bowed and eyes closed.